Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Square Meal featuring Michael Mayo from Nate Smith. Alex. Square Wheel, yes. Incredible. Um, so, we're scrambling here at the faders and everything because it's all technical. Because we have somebody phoning in from Nashville. Um, we are here. Sorry, I'm banging on everything. There's all sorts of... I'm kicking stuff. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, we got a call from Nashville from none other than Nate Smith. And I want to do a little bit of an intro. Um, Listen, we've been doing this show for five years. This year, uh, 2021, has been the year of the drummer, coincidentally, on the show. We had, we had Chris Dave on. Um, and I have to say, this particular drummer, Nick and I have both seen live in the flesh on many occasions. Um, and we're going to talk about that. But it's, you know, there's a lot of session drummers in the world. There's a lot of amazing drummers in this world. But there's very few that you know it's them as soon as you hear it. And I'd like to think that I know it's, every, it's him every time I hear it um, because he's got the deep, deepest pockets on earth. Um, it's such groove. I'm a massive fan. And when Nick sent me an email this week, he said, hey, Nate's coming on the show this week. I said, you got to be kidding me. Um, it's a pleasure to welcome him to the show. He's a composer and a writer himself. He's just released a new record. The, the song Square Wheel, which you just heard, is his. It's out on all platforms. Please help me welcome to the thread none other than Nate Smith. How you doing, man? Man, what's up, guys? How you doing, brothers? Oh, it's great to hear uh, your voice. Uh, it's great to hear your great voice. To, great to be heard, and really great to be with you. Um, how much I owe you for that intro, man? That was that was really great. <laughs> 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 you don't you don't owe me anything. You are you, your manager already paid me, so it's cool. Okay, great. <laughs> Good. Good. Uh, there's so much I want to talk to you about. Um, uh, before we talk about the record, I, I kind of want to touch on 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 what I was just saying in the intro because. We're, we're music geeks over here. Um, the first time I heard you play, know it, knowing it was you, was, was probably in the flesh at Ronnie's. You were on tour with uh, Jose James, and he gave you a big feature and, um, you know, re- really pulled me in. Um, and, I just, yeah, I just want to talk about that because I think it's really hard to develop your own voice on, on an instrument, especially something like the drums, which... Right. Um, but but you've done that, um, and you've done it in a really big way. And rather than sit here and list all the people you've played with, which would be an easy thing to do, um, why don't you just touch on um, the importance of of developing your own voice on, on the drums? You know, I've, I've been playing since I was about 11 years old, and um, I think one of the things that 
has really helped me over the years is just really being a fan of music and listening to as much of it as I possibly can and um, trying to be as open to new music as possible. Um, even if it's stuff that I don't understand or even like, you know, when I hear it, I, I've kind of learned to appreciate um, music from everywhere, you know, and I think one of the things that um, I feel like when I play is happening is, is I'm thinking about, you know, a lot of different drummers, you know, when I play, I'm thinking about, you know, I ask myself a lot of questions while I play, you know, what would Elvin do? What would Art Blakey do? What would Steve Gadd do? <laughs> real real quick, Lee? real quick. Let me stop yeah. you there. When you say I'm thinking about a lot of drummers while I, are you asking yourself these questions like as you're playing? Okay. Yeah, I'm okay. thinking about um, because so much of it is coming from the sample library in my head, you know, um, all the records I've listened to, all the stuff I've checked out, you know, I'm thinking about that stuff as I'm playing in the moment. I'm thinking, okay, so I'm in this space, I'm playing with these musicians and I'm, I'm reacting to what they're doing. And I, I kind of, okay, so, you know, where's this, let's dig into some of this Omar Hakim language, you know, this reminds me of maybe something Omar would do or something that, you know, Harvey Mason would do with Headhunters or, or something that Questlove would do with, with D'Angelo, you know. It, I think the biggest, um, if I can speak to the idea of developing your own sound, it's the idea of, of thinking of influences and then kind of projecting them through your own lens, you know, through your own um, sensibility. And that's that's what I do uh, whenever I play, and I feel like that is one of the things that um, has helped me to to kind of build sort of a language that is mine on the drums, mm. you know. So that hopefully when people hear me play, they're like, "Oh, that's that's Nate. I know, I know that snare drum sound. I know that, you know, where he's putting his hi hat. I know that kick drum sound. You know." Mm. Well, I think a lot of it is ju what, just what you play as well, apart from mix and, and, and sound. I mean, you know, it's it's quite remarkable what you play. I remember when last time we saw each other was before the Madison Square Garden Wolfpack gig. Mm. And I said, I said, hey, man, you, you know, you're doing the, that Fearless Flyers thing. Like, that's pretty cool. And you just said, dude, we just sold, sold out Madison Square Garden. I was like, what the heck yeah. is going on? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and I got I to imagine that, you know, You've played with so many people. I, I got to imagine a lot of phone calls come in, and you're just you're just booked up and you're busy. Um, but these people are calling you because of the way you play. Um, mm. So how um, before I hand it over to Nick and we we talk about the record and stuff. How does one um, when there's so much going on? How does one decide what they're gonna dive into? You know. Well, yeah. I, I sometimes I think about where I can fit into a record and. I also think about, you know, if someone is calling me for me, for my personality, for my musical personality, um, I'm hoping that they're making space for it. You know, um, I can adapt to a lot of different musical situations, you know, and um, I'm always listening to the music as I play, you know, and I'm always you know, thinking about everything that's kind of happening in the moment. But um, there is a certain thing that I bring to the music and there's a certain, you know, um, again, vocabulary or language that I bring to the music. And I hope that when people call me to play, they're calling me for that 
as well. Not only my ability to adapt to a, a situation, but also um, my ability to be myself in a situation too, you know, in a musical situation. Um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of um, my choices about who I collaborate with and who I, who I say yes to, you know, sometimes it just comes down to, you know, people I'm a fan of, you know, when Brittany Howard contacted me, I had been listening to sound and color for a year before she yeah. reached out, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I was, you know, I had to pretend I was busy. But <laughs> as as, <laughs> let me as check. As, let me, yeah. Let me check the calendar. Yeah, let, <laughs> let me check my calendar, man. I don't know. But it, but as soon as her manager emailed me, I was, you know, I was turning cartwheels at, at the crib. I was like, Oh, I, I can't wait for this, you know? Mm. So yeah, a lot of it is that. And, and, and I've been really lucky, man, to, to work with some people who have not only, had great ideas going in, but they've also made space for me and some of my ideas too. Uh, Nate, you've, you're someone who's really made the most of the lockdown. You've really pivoted, and we were talking off air uh, that you've made you've made the move to uh, to Nashville from New York. And yeah. you know, we uh, Alex and I both really love New York. I remember seeing you at Winter Jazz Fest, where you're on stage with unbelievable musicians. And you know what you were just saying about being in the moment and, and yeah. just um, incredible scene there. You know, the home of jazz in a way. Um, but mm -hmm. but how, uh, how how are you finding Nashville? I'm finding it uh, really great so far, man. I've been enjoying it. Um, I moved, it's so funny, whenever I, I talk about moving in and out of New York, I always have to bookend it. You know, I moved to New York a week before 9-11 huh. and I left New York in the middle of COVID, you know? So my my time in New York is like sort of bookended with this like these sort of life-changing events, you know, but um, I, even before COVID shut everything down, I was thinking a lot about what it would be like to live outside of New York because I was working so much outside of New York. You know, most of my work was me kind of getting on a plane and going to somewhere else to record or play or perform and then coming back and emptying my suitcase and filling it back up and going somewhere else, you know? <laughs> so um, when I knew that we weren't going to be touring for most of 2020 and, um, as it turns out, half of 2021, I, I knew that I kind of had to make a, a pivot from being on the road to being in the studio, you know, and, and Nashville is a great scene for that. I've been very, very lucky since I've gotten here. I've, I've done a lot of records since I've been here and I'm, you know, getting accustomed to the scene here, you know, which is a thriving one. Well, we're going to come visit you. So, uh, yes, that, come you know, on, come uh, on, but, but before, um, so what's what's before New York? We're going to talk about the new record. That's why you're here. I know we're going to play some of the new record, but but I, sure. I want to pick your brains as as long as you let us. What what you say you moved to New York around uh, just after September 11th? Where what, what was yeah. before that? So I am born and raised in Virginia. Um, I grew up in Chesapeake, Virginia, and I went to college at James Madison University, which is in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And then after college, I did a year of graduate study at um, Virginia Commonwealth University, which is in Richmond, Virginia. Um, so, you know, I'm a Virginia kid, like through and through, you know, and when I was in college, um, I had glimmers of New York. I had these ideas about New York, but it wasn't until I met Betty Carter in 96 and Dave Holland in 97 that I really had a chance to think about what it would be like to be a working musician in New York, you know? So um, when I moved, I finally made the decision to move in 2001 
to New York after, you know, having worked with Betty a little bit before she died and having played with Dave off and on the subbing for Billy Kilson at the time. Um, you know, when I made the decision to move to New York in 2001, I, I just told myself, okay, it, it was September 4th when I moved. And I told myself, okay, you're going to stay at least until Thanksgiving, which is the end of November here, you know? And I was like, all right, so I'm going to give myself these two months and two months turned into six months and six months turned into a year and a year turned into five years and, you know, on and on. Well, we're going to uh, we're going to play a track off the new record in a second. But just before we do, um, it's coming out uh, in about a week's time. Uh, edition Records, September the third, um, and um, yeah, um, see the birds, Kimfolk too. In fact, mm. do you want to talk a little bit about the concept or how how this record came about? Sure. Um, so this record is the second kinfolk record um my first one came out in 2017 uh postcards from everywhere and i always imagined kinfolk um the band i always imagined it to be sort of a, a trilogy series of, of music you know um and i when i i'm kind of a late bloomer as a band leader so i didn't make you know this is my band leader debut and i was 41 when it came out so i figured you know since i'm coming in a little late why don't i use the music and use the the band as a vehicle to introduce the audience to who i am you know and so um kinfolk the first one was about the music i absorbed in my during my childhood so it's kind of a reflection of the music i was listening to at the house you know quincy and um george duke and jazz crusaders and grover and all that stuff that my was in my dad's record collection and this record is a little bit more of a reflection of the music that I started to find on my own as a teenager when I really started playing the drums and really started getting into um, the idea or the dream of becoming a musician. So, you know, I, I discovered Living Color during this time, the great rock band Living Color, which changed mm -hmm. my life. I discovered Prince during this time. I discovered Sting um, during the police during this time. And, and this was this was the, the music I started my journey toward jazz. And, and I think part of the reason that I love this music so much is because the musicians who played it were influenced by jazz, you know, like um, Living Colors guitarist Vernon Reed, who appears on the record, he had been working with this great drummer named Ronald Shannon Jackson for a long time before he formed Living Color, you know. So I didn't know at the time that all of those seeds were buried in music. I just loved what they were doing and I, I wanted to play it, you know. so. I'm hoping that the music on this record captures that energy, um, that excitement of being like a teenage kid and discovering music, you know? Um, so that in the title, See the Birds is, um, basically it kind of represents the, the dream I was having of becoming a musician at the time, you know? Just like always kind of my head in the clouds kind of thinking, man, I really would love to do that one day. You know, that's, that's really where the title comes from. Um, and I, I think the release date is actually September 17th um, on Edition Records. The next single yes. will be September 3rd, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, we got the next single here, Altitude, uh, yeah. featuring Michael Mayo and Joe Ross. The, this comes out September 3rd. Patting ourselves on the back, a little bit chuffed that here at Soho Radio, we're, uh, I, I, I think we're the first London player or yes. this side of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. So, so thank on. you. Thank you, man. Come uh, on now. We're, we're going we're gonna to hear Altitude now.
was altitude. A uh, lot of music happening there. My gosh, we were we were, we were, we were head bopping. What an outro as well. Yeah. Oh man. And shout out Thank Michael you. Mayo and Joel Ross on the track as well. Yes. Um, yes. We, we've got to shout out some of the collaborators on this record. Incredible, Absolutely. incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, on that particular track, uh, also shout out to John Coward, um, that beautiful piano solo. Team Afron on bass, Brad Allen Williams on guitar, Jaleel Shaw on saxophone. They're on the whole record. So they're like, uh, they're not house guests. They're like, you know, the family, you know, the core family band. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I imagine very, on, very excited to have Joel and Michael. I imagine on the first um, first Kinfolk record as well, right? Uh, no, it was a different guitar and piano. Um, Jeremy Most played on the first Kinfolk record, and Chris Bowers uh, played piano on the, on the first one as well. Um, so yes, that's the that's the only personnel change. Um, the rest of the band is, is still here. And big shout out to to our um, resident lyricist uh, Ama Wood, the great uh, the great singer. Amazing. Um, a question about um, this is more of like a, just not so much to do with like the music side of it. You were talking earlier about you know being a teenager and, and then getting that opportunity with Betty Carter, and then up up and away. You go to New York, all these things happen. Um, I'm wondering, are you someone, you know, everybody operates differently no matter what their field. Are you somebody that, that set a bunch of goals and you're like, by this age, I want to do that. And in five years, I'm going to do this. Or are you somebody that, that said, you know what, I love music so much. I'm just going to keep my head down and keep playing and, and assess opportunities as they come. Because I, I always wonder about, about that because you meet people that are like, this is exactly, you know. Mm -hmm. This is the record I'm going to make, and this is when right. I'm going to make it. Uh, are you, right. uh, are you, uh, w which side of the coin are you on when it comes to that? I'm definitely on the latter side. You know, I just I love it, and I follow the music. You know, um, and you know, I I definitely at this point in my career, I can see a little bit of the road ahead, and I can say, okay, well, you know, I've got you know, stuff going on this summer and this fall. And then I've got a chance to do a new project in the winter and then maybe I'll have some time off and, you know, but, you know, when I first moved to New York, the future was uncertain. You know, I didn't know if I was going to be working six months uh, from when I moved, you know, I didn't know if I was going to stay, mm -hmm. you know, there was so much that was up in the air. And so, but the, the, the main thing was, I just love the music. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep trying and keep creating and keep playing and meeting other musicians. And so it's, it's kind of moved more toward the, the former, like the goal setter and the, you know, the, the person who can kind of see their trajectory ahead. But when I first moved um, to, to New York, I didn't have much of a plan. I just, I didn't have much money. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have uh, kind of had, you know, my drums and my cymbals and my MPC and that, and that was it, you know, and about uh, 600 bucks, you know, and that was, uh, that was it. And I was like, okay, let's see if we can make a go of it. You know? Well, rather than go down an MPC, MPC rabbit hole with you, right. uh, I'm, I'm going <laughs> right. to ask you about, um, before I hand it over to Nick, I'm going to ask you about, um, you, you, you were saying the last record in 2017, you, you were kind of debuting as a band leader and composer. Mm -hmm. Um, you, uh, how, what's your composition process if there's one and, and how much have you enjoyed leading the band on these records? Oh man, my, my, well, first of all, I, it, there's nothing greater for me than, than being on the stage and playing with these musicians. Like 
that's what it's all about because the music really does it, it teaches you every night like we learn something about the music every time we play it you know and the tunes sound so different now than they did when we recorded them and so that's why i really can't wait to get back on stage and share that with the audience um but the the process for me it usually starts one of two ways i sit down at the piano and i start plucking ideas little chords i'll play a little four chord vamp or something and and i'll record it on my voice memo and it'll sit there for six months or a year <laughs> and then i'll come back to it and say oh well that sucks but that's pretty good you know mm -hmm. and i'll i'll keep going back to it you know um or i'll have an idea while i'm driving or while i'm uh reading or something and, I, and i'll just sing it into my phone and so my compositional process usually starts with either the the piano or the voice um, very rarely do I actually write anything at the drums. Although, when I do sit down to play, um, that's kind of when the vibe sort of, sort of set, sets in. So whatever compositional ideas I might have, um, I really don't know what they're going to sound like until I play the drums against them, you know, mm. um, if that makes any sense. So yeah. that's that's really how I write. Interesting, interesting. Um, Nate, we're we're in a room here. We the, there's three of us. One of one is a drummer, and two are drum uh, appreciators. Okay. <laughs> I would we would we would all love to hear who's on your Mount Rushmore of uh, of drummers. Who are oh, your inspirations? Man, man, Mount Rushmore is not big enough, man. I need, <laughs> I need like two Mount Rushmores, but um, you know, Elvin Jones, of course. Um, yeah, I just think that he may have been the greatest drummer who's ever lived. I know that, you know, a lot of people wow. have said that, but I just think that in terms of um, his spiritual connection to the instrument and everything that was so mystical and ancient about the way he played, um, he's definitely there. Art Blakey is there for me. Um, you know, Tony Williams is on that Mount Rushmore. I came to Tony yeah. later in my life. I, yeah. I, he wasn't one of the first influences of mine, but as I get older as a drummer and learn more about the drums, I really marvel at mm. what he did. Yeah. Um, Max Roach, of course, who influenced Tony, you know, yeah. um, there's, oh my God, Joe Jones. Uh, you know, I could just, <laughs> I could just keep going, man. I, like I said, I need like six Mount Rushmore's, you know? Well, but, um, yeah. Like when this this kind of Mount Rushmore question, and and when you throw things out like you know, nobody likes to talk about the greatest of all time in, in music, and you, you you just said about it. We all hate saying stuff like that. We and, yeah. and we hate the list, but you know it puts our mind in a place where we start thinking about who, who yes. we love to listen to play. Yes. But sometimes I think about like time periods and 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 big records and big albums and and songs that happened at that time, and I would say. I'm going to take this as a segue to that Britney Howard record you did, Jamie. That album, front to back, when I listened to it, I started writing people I play music with, uh, the owner of a studio that, that, I, that I do productions there, and I wrote you in emails like, man, what you played on this record. I mean, I think that record is of its time in every way, shape, and form. And I just wanted you to kind of reflect on the mm. making of that record because uh, in my, in Alex's list, that right. is at the top for 2019. Talk to um, me a little bit about the process, the, 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 the making of that record, if you don't mind. Oh, not at all. I, you know, I, I love Brittany. I love talking about working with Brittany. Um, and she is a genius, you know, she really is. And she's very, very special. Like, 
you know, I, I, um, so as I mentioned earlier, I, you know, I got an email from her manager in, I think it was spring of 2018. And they said, Hey, would you be interested in coming to LA to work with Brittany on her new record? Of course I said, yes. And, um, you know, in July, late July, early August, sometime around there, I went out there and I was with her and Sean Everett for about 10, 10 or 12 days. And, um, we worked at Vox Recording Studios um, and went in every day and we cut maybe a song or maybe, you know, a couple songs a day. And then about a week after I got there, Robert Glasper came in and I, I think I played two days with Robert. Um, and we ended up jamming together and improvising the music that became 13th Century Metal on that record. Oh, tune. Man. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Man, you know, I didn't know what she was going to do with that. And then when I heard it, I was like, oh, this is a masterpiece. She, 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 she knocked it out of the park, you know. Um, but this kind of goes back to the idea I had about, you know, collaborating with people who not only have a specific vision, but also understand where I fit in the vision. You know, they, they make space for my personality and my ideas. And um, that's exactly what Brittany did. She was like, I want you to put your thing on these demos. She had different demos she had cut on Logic and she would bring stuff in and we'd listen. And then Sean would take like two hours to set the mics up because he had like a very specific sound in mind, you know? Mm. So I would go and get a cup of coffee and come back and I'd be playing on like a milk crate or <laughs> a, a plastic box stuff with percussion, you know, with a bass drum pedal in front of it. And he's like, yeah, man, this is gonna sound sick. And when I played it, oh man, he was right. It sounds incredible. So, and did, did you ever um, push back on any of that? Like, no, nah, man, I don't. I don't want to hit the milk crate. Can we get some uh, drums no, out? No, 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 no. I listen. I was like, this is the. So for me, I you know, I was like, so what can I do? It's more about what can I do with a milk crate? How, what can I? What can I do playing a triangle beater on a coffee mug? Mm. How can I make that sound good? You know, mm, mm. and um, because you know, back when I was a kid, man, before I had drums, everything was a drum. You know, and so it kind of took me back to that. It's like, yeah, man, let's just make drums out of other stuff. Um, for the song Stay High, the entire kit is snare drums. So he, <laughs> it's crazy. He took, <laughs> he took two 14 inch snare drums, took the bottom heads off, you know, tuned the, I don't want to give too much of uh, Sean's no, secret. No, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to give it all but keep going right right yeah right right um but no he just you know tuned them down and you know put a mic in front of it and it sounded unbelievable um you know i, I have to say working with him and also working with jack stratton um a Vol with, wolfpack you're right yeah. wolf and the flyers you know i've really really learned a lot about doing a lot with a little you know it's like those guys are some of the most resourceful engineers I've ever worked with. And they just, you know, and really adventurous too. Like, okay, we've got two mics. What, what make it sound good? Because then it's about what I play, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, for, for, for that record with Brittany, um, I just, I learned so much, man. And, and I learned so much every time I work with her on the bandstand, I think she's, she's just brilliant. Well, Nate, we're conscious of your time. We're going to end it there. And I think the best track to end it with is Fly for Mike featuring Brittany Howard um, from the record. Yeah. And uh, is, is there anything you want to say uh, before we hit play? Uh, you know, I just want to, um, as always, uh, just, you know, dedicate this one to my pop. Um, 
my father Mike is is who I wrote the song for, and I want to thank Brittany for writing such beautiful lyrics and. Um, really grateful to you guys for such a great interview. Thank you so much for having me. Nate, it's a pleasure. I can't, wait. I, I can't wait to see you again, um, uh, whether you're on stage or we're witnessing another show together. Thank you for coming on the show. Everybody go to whatever streaming platform, whatever record store, wherever you can get Nate Smith. Nate Smith, I said Nate Smith's music. Go mm -hmm. do it. Kim Folk 2, see the birds September 17. September 17. Yes, sir. <laughs> Yes, sir. Edition record. Shout out to Dave Stapleton and the whole crew at Edition. Um, thank you, guys. Thanks, Nate. See you next time. All right.